You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon where it is the last couple days have been the quintessential Indian summer because we did have a frost out here in Elmira a couple weeks ago so you know this warm back up is that's the the definition of an Indian summer. You have to have a frost first, and then it gets warm. That's called Indian summer. Of course, God, is that PC anymore? Am I allowed to say Indian summer? Is it supposed to be Native American summer or something? Or is there some other reference we're supposed to make uh, to refer to this, you know, phenomena of having a frost and then getting warm again? Gorgeous day. Yesterday, I, I mean, it was shirt sleeve weather and and just Stunningly nice day um, after we got past the rain first thing in the morning. But so it's really, um, really gorgeous and nice here. And it was really nice. It was nice yesterday because I got to do something really different uh, the last couple of days. I got to attend and participate in Elmira High School's Every 15-Minute Program put on by our Lane County Sheriff's Department in partnership with the Oregon State Police. Um, the Lane Fire Authority, our REACH uh, helicopter uh, folks, uh, and even our parole probation people help uh, staff some of it. Um, and I think uh, uh, A&M Towing or one of the towing companies brought the cars out for this. They staged a, uh, a, a drunk driving head-on collision in the parking lot of Elmira High School yesterday afternoon. And they did it very realistically. Uh, you know, for the whole student body came out and witnessed this thing. They basically started from moments after the crash. You know, with you know, you could hear one of the kids in the back seat of one of the cars, you know, screaming for help and trying to wake his buddy up that was in the front seat. And uh, you you start hearing the the police and. Uh, um, 911 call over the speakers from the a couple of uh, vehicles they had set off to the side. They actually had a, a sheriff's vehicle and a, and a fire vehicle that had the speakers on, so you heard both the police radio and the and the fire radio sending out calls for this this accident. And um, they actually had the emergency responders roll in, you know, code three lights and sirens into the high school from the, they had them staged um, at a church uh, nearby. And, uh, you know, the first one to show up was a, a, a state patrol man, and, and, you know, he gets out and starts checking on the folks. And, um, of course, you know, the driver had already stood up and gotten out of one of the cars. And while he got out, you could hear bottles roll out of the car onto the ground. Um, and he's kind of just stumbling around. He, gets the kid to sit on the ground and starts trying to attend to some of the and check out what's going on radios in further information about the victims and all that. And, you know, then some sheriff's deputies show up and fire folks start showing up and ambulances and, and uh, heavy rescue shows up and they even, you know, they go through the, the whole thing where, you know, um, they had to use the jaws of life to pry a door open to get one person out of a car. They actually cut the roof off of one vehicle and, and peeled it back um, over the, the, the hood of the car completely to get uh, get this one victim out who they um, 
had done up like they had a compound fracture of their thigh um, and uh, put, her, put her, that person on a backboard, flew a helicopter in, landed it on the lawn of the high school there, um, and they loaded this kid up and, and put him in the helicopter and, and flew off <laughs> with the kid. You know, it was that realistic of a recreation. I mean, they literally brought a helicopter in and flew one of the victims out of there. They loaded three of them up in ambulances and drove off with them. And uh, they had um, walked the uh, driver through a, a Dewey test and all that and uh, cuffed him and took him away. And uh, the last kid in the car, they actually pulled, you know, covered up, uh, pulled out and then zipped them up in a body bag and loaded them on a gurney and put them in a hearse. And that's when the, and dro drove off with the kid in a hearse um, with the Grim Reaper following. Uh, it was, and that was sort of the end of the drill, but uh, it was done very, very realistically. And uh, you could definitely, the kids came out and were kind of nervously giggling and shuffling around when it first started, you know, because they, you know, they come out and all you see is two cars sitting there with a bunch of kids with, you know, uh, stage blood and all that on them. Uh, and, you know, they kind of know the kids in the car and you know, they know it's kind of not real and you kind of get that. But, you know, once they start going through, um, you know, pulling some of the kids out and, and cutting the tops off the car and the helicopter comes down, by the end of that assembly, those kids were silent. You know, you didn't hear any talk and and uh, definitely just stunned with what they, they witnessed. What's amazing to me, though, is the Lane Fire Authority folks and the, and the OSP and the Lane County Sheriff's folks that participated. All I could think about the whole time I'm watching this is you guys see this for real a lot. How do you deal with that? How do you process that? I mean, it was you know, making me tense and, 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 you know, <laughs> having a physical reaction to what I was seeing. And I knew it was all mock. How do you guys deal with that over, over again? Cause you know, these guys get called out to some horrible wrecks um, and, and just have to go through that, that for real. And they, they were so professional. I tell you, the, the the Lane Fire Authority folks, you know, went through cutting that top off that car and doing those extrications. The helicopter pilot, the winds were not steady. We were getting this gusty wind out of the east right before the helicopter came and uh, just put it down with no problems at all. Took, took off out of a very confined space, extremely vertically. I, I was impressed, you know, with the helicopter flight skills um you know it's just all done so so precise and so realistically if i could jump in here for a second sure uh, we have up on the screen one of the pictures from the uh showing the two cars um i don't know if you have your monitor up or not with the green grim reaper but he's kind of a little bit offset but i just want to say that uh back in the days before cell phones were common this is i used to assist epd and sheriff department uh, over 250 assists, and this is so realistic. I mean, I've, you know, I've been on these scenes, and it is just. Uh, um, I know this is an expensive program to put on, but I think that the message that it sends to people, just how serious uh, uh, these vehicles are, being in an accident. You know, it, it's really easy to just to hop in, turn the key, and and go and not think about it and start uh, not paying attention. But the reality is, this is what can actually happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the program started in California. It's called Every 15 Minutes because when it started, every 15 minutes in the U.S., somebody died from a drunk driving accident. Now that timing's down to every 51 minutes. But what's kind of taken over almost from the drunk driving is the distracted driving accidents that result in fatalities. So they haven't really changed the name because when you add the two in together, it's still about every 15 minutes, somebody in the U.S. dies from either a drunk driver, uh, an impaired driver by other, you know, drugs, 
or somebody that was distracted by texting or something else. So really the message of this program was, you know, you know, don't drive impaired and don't don't be distracted when you're driving. You know, that was the the the, 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 num the message they tried to send home. They did stage this as a drunk driving wreck, but boy, it was just very realistic. Um, and that photo I took was early on as the students were just coming out um, and the Grim Reaper led them out with the, what happened uh, earlier in the day was about 20 students were pulled out of classes and these students, this had all been set up months in advance. You know, this is a, a program that takes a bit of planning. Um, and they, they get the students or volunteers, they get permission from the parents to be part of it because one of the things the parents have to do for this, these 20 students that got pulled out of class that were representing, you know, uh, basically how many people from the school would eventually die in drunk driving accidents over their lifetime. Um, these 20 kids were representative of that. They pull them out of class and they, a clergy member comes in uh, shortly after and posts an obituary that was written by the parents beforehand for the, of the student. You know, kind of, you know, the day they were born with the death date being that day. Um, and then you know, things like, you know, the kid loved, loved football and, and, you know, really enjoyed, you know, playing with his little brother, you know, those sort of things. You know, those, those sort of little obituaries were posted up in the classrooms. And they took the kids off and um, had them, you know, painted up, you know, in, in uh, pale makeup like they were dead and um, put them in black, you know, black hooded robes. And they had the kids write up their own tombstones. And they went out and planted these tombstones in a line. Um, and the tombstones were on the walk of where the kids came out of the high school to get to the crash scene. So already earlier in the day, these kids had been pulled out of class and these, these obituaries had been posted and then the kids come back into class with the robes on and they don't speak or interact with anybody. Even if somebody turns to them and tries to crack them up or anything else, they don't react. And it kind of makes the other kids suddenly realize this is what it'd be like if he actually wasn't here or she wasn't here. You know, I wouldn't, I could, I'd be thinking I'm going to turn and, and tell this, this funny joke or try and crack some crack, crack them up and, they're not going to be there to respond. And that's kind of the point of that. And so they walk the kids out past the tombstones, bring them out to this act, this car accident. Um, and that's, you know, really intense. And then the kids don't go home that night. The ones that are the um, walking, quote, walking dead. They take them out to Camp Harlow for the night. And one of the things they, they do a bunch of exercises and, and work with the kids out there. Um, but one of the things they do is they have the kids write letters to their parents and families, um, you know, from from the grave, so to speak. You know, they start out, you know, dear mom and dad, every 15 minutes, you know, somebody dies in this country from impaired or distracted driving. Um, I never got a chance to tell you, but this is, you know, this is what I want to tell you type, type thing. And and they had the kids read some of those letters at an assembly today. And that's where I got to participate. Um, you know, they, they have an assembly. Um, principal started off. I was the first speaker. I was mostly there partly to welcome any dignitaries and elected other elected officials that might show up. Um, and I did, did that um, and pointed out all the various people from all the agencies that were there in the room how many people and how much resource it took to set up that accident the day before and made the point to the kids that with all this, you can see how much we all care about keeping you guys safe and how important it was to us to get this message through to you. It was, if there's one thing I wanted to get through to those kids is they have value and we care about their safety. And that wasn't just about drunk driving, that message for them. That was everything, you know, hopefully, you know, covering everything from teen suicide up to drunk, dri drunk and distracted driving. 
is to kind of just reinforce that message to kids that folks care about them and they have value. But the other part of my my talk was to talk a little bit about um, just give a, a local view into uh, fate, you know, traffic fatalities and traffic deaths. And I talked about the year where we had 10 traffic deaths on Highway 126, which runs right through the middle of the Fern Ridge School District um, between Eugene and Mapleton in 12 months. And I talked about the safety task force that we put together with ODOT, where we actually, in trying to make recommendations about, you know, keeping the roads safe in the future, we went and looked at the past. And we went through 10 years of fatal and serious injury crash data. And over 90% of those crashes were due to lane departures. And the only reason somebody leaves their lane in a vehicle, for the most part, is driver behavior. There's the rare occasion of a, a mechanical failure of the vehicle. But almost 100% of the time, it's because the driver was going too fast for the conditions, you know, either the curve that they were coming into or, you know, it was wet, you know, it was too foggy, whatever, you know, and they're just going too fast for conditions. The driver might have been drowsy, you know, and had, hadn't gotten enough sleep and, and, you know, was nodding off the wheel. The driver might have been impaired or the driver was distracted. Those are really all driver behaviors. That's why people cross center lines. That's why they drive off the edge of the road and crash into trees. It's not because the road wasn't engineered correctly. It's not because we don't have law enforcement out there. It's not because we don't have it, you know, an emergency response for after a crash. Those are the other portions. It's because somebody made a decision. Somebody made a decision in driving, you know, and, and I really wanted to, to, to hammer that home that it's your duty as a driver to make good decisions, whether that's not to drive because you're impaired, whether that's not to text, you know, those are all under your control. And I really wanted to, to stress that. And I kind of finished up by saying, you know, of those 10 deaths that year, the last four were one car accident. And it was involving students of Mapleton High School, where five of them had gone together to breakfast a short distance away from the high school at the gingerbread house. And while they were driving back, for some reason, they left their lane. It was never quite determined exactly why the driver was not impaired, at least not with anything that would show up in, in you know, blood tests and, and other tests. Um, they suspect probably a distraction of some kind in the car. But um, you can imagine four students from Mapleton would equal 25 students from Elmira High School to get the same proportion of the total student body. You can imagine what graduation was like that year after those students had died in the previous school year. Pretty hard to have a you know a nice celebration of, of something that should be a, a great time of your life graduating high school. You can imagine what it'd be like at Elmira High School if 25 kids had died in some incident during the year prior to graduation, what graduation that year would be like. What it would be like for the parents that didn't get to see their kids walk across there. So I asked those kids to please take their duty as a driver seriously, make good decisions. And that was my part. And then I got to introduce a video. And I'm going to post a link to that video later on um, after the program. It's a video that was done 
for television and actually played on Australian television. I don't know how in the world we would ever get it on U.S. television, but it's five minutes and like 23 seconds long. And it was done by what they called their Transport Accident Commission in Australia. Um, and if you Google TAC, T-A-C, Australia drunk driving video, it'll come up uh, and if you put it into YouTube, that's that's where I, I found it. Um, I was fortunate enough to watch it before the, the um, assembly. I got warned to watch it first. <laughs> but I got to introduce that video, and the video played, and then I got to transfer um, the program over to the sheriff, and the sheriff continued the rest of the program, which included the kids reading the letters that they wrote. We had a couple of of the parents of one of the walking dead um, volunteered to, to get a death notification while their kid was off at Camp Harlow and had, you know, uh, the law enforcement and clergy show up at their door and go through what would be a typical death notification. And they talked about what that was like and how that felt to them, even though they knew it was all a mock notification, they knew it was a fiction. You know, the dad was talking about, you know, I used to joke that, you know, there were two things I feared in life, God and my wife, not necessarily in that order. He said, I lied. That I realized after that, that the thing I feared most in life was losing one of my children. You know, that it was, it was powerful. They also had a speaker a woman that lost two of her friends when she was hit and run by a drunk driver doing 110 miles an hour. You know, her and three of her friends were in a vehicle. They, they were trapped in the vehicle by the accident. And the, the driver of the other vehicle actually made it a, a thousand feet or so past the wreck before her car stopped working. And then she ran from the car, eventually to be caught about three days later. <clears throat> but her story was heart-wrenching. So really powerful program. If it saves one of those kids or saves one other person from one of those kids, distracted or impaired driving, it was worth it. And if you think, you know, you're a parent or you're a school official or a teacher in another school district outside of Fern Ridge School District and want to consider having this program put on here in Lane County, or if you're in some other place watching this on the Internet, most of the law enforcement agencies can put you in touch with somebody that can run this program for your school. Um, contact me or contact the Lane County Sheriff's Department. Um, Kerry, Sergeant Kerry Carver is the contact for this program. And we can work to getting your school scheduled. Uh, they try not to do it too often at schools because it is really pretty traumatizing. And they don't wanna put kids through this every year. So they try and do it about once every three years. So, so a kid might see it twice if, if if that during their high school career um but it, it's pretty impactful but if, if if you want your school to be involved um you can contact me through this program again you know if, if you have any comments about that or other things you can call in at any time at 646-721-9887 just press one if you want to get in on, on the conversation again that's 646-721-9887, just press one. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the every 15 minutes. We can talk about anything else you want to talk about. I just want to, one last thing on that. The last thing they did was have one of the students from the group of the uh, Walking Dead ask all the students at the end of the program, which ended with some spare time, to come down and sign a banner that was a pledge not to drive impaired or while dis distracted by texting. And 
almost every one of the students came down and crowded around that was signing that at the end of the the assembly. It was pretty pretty cool. So you know that's kind of what they they drive to at the very end of this is to get a pledge from the students uh, not to do that. So you know and it, and it's kind of now there's 20 leaders that they built in that group of of um, quote walking dead that are peer leaders in the school to keep that message going and uh, it'll it's really uh, been shown to be a pretty effective program so again if you're from another you know Crow Applegate Lorraine or you're out um, in Junction City or or even in 4J in another high school district you're looking thinking about having this program put on um, you know you can contact myself or the sheriff's department um, and we'll connect you it's pretty intense involves a lot of volunteers a lot of it is done volunteer um, you know the, the the towing company brings in the rec cars and all that without charging anybody I really have to thank you know everyone that was involved in this um, amazing effort over 30 people I saw counted out there professionalized were part of that reenactment. There's a, a young man that takes a video of the day, the, that whole day, and that's part of what plays in the program. He works all, overnight. You know, I don't think he got any sleep and puts together a video of the entire day, the kids being pulled out of class, the, the rec reenactment, um, and some other pieces, kids, some kids reading their letters to their parents. Um, pretty, pretty amazing effort, but just want to say I was privileged and honored to be, you know, invited to be part of that program. I hope what I had to say also helped, um, but it's just, uh, it's one of those things. And, you know, unfortunately, Lane County is leading the state and our state is kind of leading the nation in the increase in fatalities on our roads. Um, something I'm not very proud of. We, we need to change that. Part of it is our lack of enforcement. Part of it is just, um, you know, this whole new thing with, there's this electronic thing I hold in my hand that constantly distracts me. Um, we have to figure out how we are, you know, get past that in some ways. Because, you know, one of the things is, you know, I was an engineer for almost 30 years I designed a lot of roadways. I cannot engineer out driver behavior. And driver behavior, you know, is what causes those head-on collisions, what causes those rollovers off the side of the road. It's what causes people to hit trees. You know, it's just, you know, that can't change with, with engineering. You know, we can do some things to try and make it a little safer. We can put rumble strips down center lines to kind of wake people up when they start drifting over that center line. Um, but it's still, you know, by the time you hit that rumble strip and wake up, you may be just too far. So uh, can't engineer around that. Even if we put law enforcement out there, there's still that decision people make when to drive and when not to drive, when to put the cell phone, you know, on do not disturb while you're driving. You know, you just got to do it. You know, driving is a, a, a privilege and a duty, and it should have your full attention. So, and it should have your sober full attention. So moving on to other things, uh, again, I want to remind folks, uh, you know, this is an interactive show. If you want to get in on the conversation, change the conversation. If there's something else you want to talk about, just give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. So Eugene's number one again. We always seem to make national news in Oregon for the strangest reasons and oddest reasons and not always good reasons. And then this is another case of that. Um, we are number one in per capita homelessness in the nation. 
Eugene, top of the list. The state of Oregon is number four in the nation per capita homeless. And you just got to shake your head and, and, and go, you know, why? And, and, you know, we all have been looking around, Eugene, going, my gosh, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. I've never seen something this bad. Well, you're, you're feeling it, it, it's worse and it is so bad is not unfounded. We have the worst homeless issue per capita of the nation here in Eugene. But I will pause for a moment to say we don't always make the news for bad reasons. I have to thank Rogue Creamery for actually putting Oregon in the news for a positive reason. They came in first place in an international worldwide cheese contest. Their blue cheese was ranked number one in the world. There were thousands of entrance into this competition. And our little rogue creamery from right here in Oregon won number one in the world, world's best cheese here in Oregon. So at least we're number one in something good. For those of you that like blue cheese or like cheese at all. But still, getting back to Eugene and our number one in homelessness, it makes you wonder why. Why is it so extreme here? And then if you look at the map that came along with the article that, that did this analysis of the national point in time uh, count data for the last year, uh, was the point in time counts were done in January of, of 2019. You kind of see it's Washington, California, New York that are kind of leading the way in this uh, homelessness issues. Uh, it seems to be a more of a coastal phenomenon. You kind of get why it's not North Dakota. Uh, not too many people want to be homeless when it's 30 below zero. Uh, so uh, you could see that, but uh, you know, there's other parts of the country that don't seem to be suffering with this problem. And then there's places you would think that wouldn't be that were part of that, that places that are, that are really ranked highly. Colorado, and particularly Denver and Colorado Springs, rank really high in homelessness. I can't imagine going through a Colorado winter homeless. Uh, you know, still, there you are. Um, you know, what do some of these places have in common? Well, they seem to have, you know, a particular you know, political leadership and, and dominance of a particular political party, but not always. There's a couple towns in Florida and Texas and even Georgia that have high homeless rates. What's something else you might have in common? High housing costs. When you look at the 302 cities that have over 100,000 population, this data is from 2012, so it's old. Eugene ranks 31st out of that 302 and that's in the top 10 percent in how in lack of housing affordability basically that their median and this is adjusted for median income or median family income as of what the median rent is as a percentage of the median family income and in eugene at that for that particular year, it was 37.7%. Now, in order for housing to be affordable, your rent should be less than 30% of your income. So family income, not individual income, but family incomes, the rents in Eugene were greater than that. And of the rental units, over 60%, 61.1%, or more than 30% of the median family income for Eugene, Eugene. So you can see, and, and as I looked at that list, you know, started comparing between the list of top cities with homeless problems and housing affordability, 
they line up very strongly. You know, with the exception of some, you know, there are some some very shishi towns that have high housing affordability issues, but I just don't think they have, you know, there's not many people other than rich people that live in those towns. They just don't have the homeless population. They're usually like a suburb or something like that that have that ranked high for how for not being affordable housing. But you look at, you know, San Francisco, you look at Seattle, you look at Eugene, and some of these cities that rank really high in homelessness, and think about how hard it is to find an affordable place to rent for the folks that work in the service industries and everything there. And then you ask yourself, why is that? Why is housing cost so much in some of those, those areas? And you get back to what have been the policies around land use and development in those communities? And what has been the policy in Eugene? Look at what happened when Envision Eugene process went on. How many mental gymnastics did the city council have to go through to not expand the urban growth boundary to include more buildable residential land? And how artificially have they constricted that supply of housing? Now we go back to those basic laws of economics and most people that you know have taken any amount of economics understand the law of supply and the law of demand. If you want to go in and look them up, they're you know pretty easy to Google. You know, and basically, you know, when you have restricted supply, costs go up. When you have increased demand, costs go up. So what's been going on with housing in Eugene that's starting to drive some of this homeless issue. We have increasing demand. I mean, the, the population of this area is not going down. It's been steadily increasing at about approximately 1% a year for years. So that demand's been ever increasing, yet the su supply of housing has been artificially constricted through our land use laws zoning laws, permitting laws, everything seems to be, you know, suppressing that supply of housing. So it's no wonder we're in the top 10% of housing unaffordability in this country. So that's one of the drivers of our high homeless population. Because it's really hard to get somebody that's homeless back into housing when it's unaffordable for them. The other large driver is our drug and addiction problems in this state. And we kind of made national news about a week or so ago as being one of the states that had the highest rate of combination heroin and meth addiction showing up. Um, you know, so it's just really, you know, think about the prevalence of drug addiction in our communities and you, you can kind of see combined with Another issue is our lack of mental health services in the state. We have the fourth highest rate of mental illness in the nation, and we're ranked 50th for mental health services of the states. So high cost of housing, high drug addiction, high mental health issues, number one in homelessness in the U.S. So how do we work on that? We have to work on housing supply. And I don't care if it's McMansions down to tiny homes. We need more housing, period. Increase supply, prices stabilize. We need more mental health providers in this community. We need more drug and alcohol treatment. 
We need to keep people off of drugs and alcohol in the first place. This gets back to my message to those kids. The one thing I wanted to drive home and ask them to, to come away from this whole every 15 minutes. We care about you. You have value. Somebody that knows they're valued and cared about generally doesn't turn drugs. We need to continue that message to our, our youth. Gets back to something we talked about a few, maybe it was last program or program before in the Choose Kindness campaign. We have to, you know, kind of keep choosing that kindness. Let people know they have value. Let them know they're cared about. Yeah, I know this all sounds pretty wish, wishy-washy stuff from somebody that's supposed to be this Tea Party conservative, but it's it's true that we need to 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 keep doing these things because if people you know feel that they don't have value, they're not cared about, then they turn to things like drugs, then they become one of those suicide statistics, then they make bad decisions around driving, you know. They may end up homeless. You know, it's just we we have to continue some of that. You know, the not so wishy-washy stuff is we have to work on housing supply. And that's about breaking down barriers, whether they're land use regulations, whether they're permitting regulations, whether they're system development charge that drive cost up, everywhere we can work to drive away those barriers. Um, for housing and increased supply will have an impact on homelessness. So through a, some real red meat there with that issue on Eugene ending up number one again in the nation and some of my thoughts about why. So if you disagree with me or you have some other suggestions, just give me a call here on the Bozno Show, 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation. And if you want to talk about something else, you can call also, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets Robin know that you want to get in on the conversation. So I want to get to, uh, you know, a couple other things today, because I want to get to my, what were they thinking for the week? So I don't know if Robin's got my logo up there on the screen for folks that you're watching Facebook Live, but um, I have kind of two what were they thinking this week. The first one involves unintended consequences. Now, apparently back in 2018, Congress passed a bill that was making some changes to our federal tax code. And somewhere in those changes, there was something that made it so that um, FEMA reimbursements for disaster had to be counted as income for that tax year. Now, where this comes into play is electrical co-ops. Now, folks that don't have a very long memory, remember the Snowmageddon? Remember who got hurt the worst, really, as far as electrical providers? Lane Electric Co-op, Douglas Electric Co-op, massive amounts of damage to their systems. So they're in line for millions of dollars of aid from FEMA. There's one problem, though. They accept that aid right now. It becomes income on their books. And when it becomes income, and if it's more than 15% of their annual total income, and it is not derived from their cooperative members, it busts their tax-exempt status as a cooperative if they get more than 15% of their income non-cooperative generated, you know, it doesn't come out of their membership, they become tax taxable entities and lose their tax-exempt status. 
it, I don't think that was the thought in trying to make FEMA, you know, uh, payments become taxable or income. Uh, and I think it needs to be fixed. The unfortunate thing right now is I don't think it will get fixed. So I don't know what these poor electric co-ops are going to do. Um, risk losing their, their tax exempt status to get federal disaster relief. Um, you know, it just, it's crazy, you know, and I don't know what they were thinking in Congress when they passed this law and didn't think it through and think through the unintended consequences. But the problem I really have is in talking with, you know, folks from Washington, D.C. and staff for uh, our senators, they don't think it's going to get fixed because there's no cooperation in D.C. to do anything right now. They don't want to fix something that was passed by the previous Congress because then they can blame it on that, that party that passed it. And, you know, there just doesn't seem to be any cooperation, even though there's co-ops here in Oregon that are going to be hurt badly by this unintended consequence of a minor change in tax law. What were they thinking? What are they thinking? Fix it. Fix it now. Connect the fix to the, the next continuing resolution that where you're going to fund government for the next three weeks or something like that. Get it done. Figure it out. So I, I just, it's got to happen. So uh, yeah, we need we need to get it fixed. If, you, if you're listening to this, call your Congress people. Say fix the FEMA tax code issue for electric co-ops. So uh, yeah, what were they thinking? And my other, what were they thinking? So our governor. And cue the music. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Our governor, uh, in the midst of this homeless crisis where we can't house all the people we need to house here in Oregon, went on, you know, held a press conference to announce to the nation that she is definitely going to take refugees from other countries into Oregon. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, from a family of refugees. You know, you might notice my last name is not exactly uh, Anglo-Saxon. And uh, my family escaped the Balkans uh, right prior to the, the World War I uh, disintegration of the Balkans. And we're basically political refugees coming in through Ellis Island, legally and all that good stuff, ended up working in the coal mines in Utah. And you can imagine this Catholic family from Croatia um, being located in Utah, not exactly uh, fitting in very well. Um, but, you know, and I'm, so I have, I have extreme empathy for refugees, but it just kind of seems to be in the same news cycle as us being number four in the nation in homelessness and num having the number one city in the nation in homelessness to announce that we're going to be welcoming to all these refugees into Oregon just seemed to you know, be kind of a tone deaf, what were you thinking, Governor? You know, could you have timed that more poorly? Um, so, uh, yeah. We were going to play a little Tom Petty to go along with this. And those of you that know Tom Petty probably know which song I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, Kate, yes. Um, timing is everything. Uh, yeah, so. Kind of me off guard. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Didn't get, get you right to it. Um, but yeah, so you know, kind of what were they thinking this week? Got to give that to Congress. Got to give it to the governor again. Um, you know, that's kind of what's going on in my mind for what were they thinking. 
So yeah, I'm, it must be getting somewhat close to five o'clock because I've got a poodle suddenly uh, appearing because that's when I usually feed them. <laughs> don't know. Sorry. Ten more minutes to go. Yeah, don't know if the viewers can see, but she was over here slapping me, <laughs> telling me it's it's time to uh, time to pay attention to her uh, here. So, what did the T-shirt say? Uh, the T-shirt says, and it's hard to read probably. And let's see if I can aim the the, the thing. So it basically says, "A hand up, not a hand out." And this is from. And let's see if I can turn around and get it in view. The Lane County Standout. Ah, okay. And I I purchased this shirt for twenty dollars because they use it to fund the stand down. Um, great event that I went to a few weeks back. We talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, and, and speaking of helping homeless veterans, that's uh, basically what. Hi, Mabel. Hi there. You will not ignore me. <laughs> Which one is this? This is Mabel. She's very sweet. She likes uh, to kiss. Yes. And, and kisses. I'm one of those gross dog people that actually lets him kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> don't you? Yeah, like George Carlin says. Yeah, that, like George Carlin says, don't you know that animal, that dogs have the cleanest mouth of any animals? And the response is, yeah, I'm just going by where he's been, hon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that one. Yeah, there's more to it, but we're kind of rated PG. Yeah, we're trying, trying to stay in that, that zone. Yeah, yeah, so now I've totally lost my train of thought. Oh, Lane County stand down, yeah. <laughs> Helping homeless veterans. <laughs> we're talking about homelessness today on the show, weren't we? And, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's a great program and he kind of gives these folks a lift and uh, connects them with a bunch of services but you know it's one of those band-aid sort of things that that i wish we didn't have to do and uh but i fully support it and uh was proud to be part of that effort too uh, you know along with this every 15 minutes effort so we still have about seven minutes left in the program if you want to Get in on a conversation, change the conversation. We can talk poodle kisses. Uh, <laughs> um, you have eggs, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, eggs do. Yeah. At 646-721-9887. Yeah, yeah. Robin's referring to I posted a picture of my duck eggs that I get. And, you know, we have we got some new uh, ducklings this year, which are now just starting to lay. <laughs> and... Uh, you're very interested in the subject, aren't you? <laughs> and when ducks or, or chickens or whatever start laying, they they lay kind of weird eggs at first. And quite often I'll get these um, almost jelly-sided eggs, you know, when they first start laying, where they don't get a full shell uh, on, on them. And this year I've gotten some double yokers that were really big eggs. But the last week I've gotten two of these itsy Bitsy, teeny tiny eggs. Yeah, and duck eggs are usually a lot bigger than chicken eggs. These things were like quail egg size, maybe. <laughs> it's like I haven't I haven't opened them to see if they have a yolk in them or anything like that um, yet. Uh, I, I'm kind of saving them for my wife to get back from a trip uh, that she's taking for business, and uh, so I can show them to her and, and then we can crack them open together, maybe make an itty bitty omelet. Uh, <laughs> But think one of those things about living in the country is I get to have ducks because the ducks also keep my slugs and snail population down so I can actually grow a few vegetables in the yard and other other things, you know, flowers. Um, so ducks are great for that. Uh, they, but they do require that you have some water for them and all that stuff. So they're, they're a little bit different to care for than chickens, but I love duck eggs. I think they're actually superior to chicken eggs in taste and texture and all that. But some people like them, some people don't. Mabel likes duck eggs. Louie in particular likes duck eggs. I have to find them before Louie does. Or Kurt, he'll, he'll eat them, our other poodle, one of our other poodles. So, yes, we do have duck eggs. 
but I, I facetiously posted one of those small eggs a couple of weeks back and, and one of the really big eggs in a picture and said, you know, my ducks are laying on the extremes. It must be climate change. <laughs> kind of like people blaming some of the extreme weather on stuff, but uh, kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, so what else can we talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show in our last five minutes? We've talked about everything from is Indian summer still politically correct terminology to, uh, you know, drunk driving and kids and homelessness. And we've talked about unintended consequences of tax law changes. We've even talked a little bit about refugees and even brought Tom Petty and blue cheese into the conversation today. So lots of topics on the plate. But, you know, it, it's hard not to ignore national news in some ways and uh, kind of watching this this whole thing unfold in, in Washington, D.C. And it's interesting yet depressing to see this whole, um, you know, impeachment hearing investigation. I don't I, I won't call them hearings because there's no public, it's not a public thing, not even private. One party is being barred from being allowed in the room, even as they as they interview um, folks about about possible impeachment. And um, it's just strange. And it's a distraction. You know, there's so much else going on, whether it's trying to fix a little piece of tax code. Because um, I'm sure that uh, our local electric co-ops here in Oregon aren't the only electrical co-ops across the country that might be facing this problem. And, uh, you know, it's distracting from lots of important work that our federal government ought to be doing. Well, you know, there is a code word for that. What's that? <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> uh, the code word, it, code word is squirrel. Squirrel. Wait, we gotta go. <laughs> what? What? There's squirrel somewhere. Squirrel. 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 Yes, ladies and gentlemen, somewhere behind all those poodles is our Lane County Commissioner. Uh, I got everybody stirred up. Yes. He suddenly changes up from a black poodle to a off-white poodle. Yes, that's Piper. <laughs> and we can honestly say that this show is going to the dogs. Yes, yes, we're we're running out of running out of wind here. We got all the poodles present and accounted for. Except, well, I don't see Shawnee. He doesn't care so much about squirrels. Plus, he's also getting hard of hearing. He's my old man. Oh. Thirteen and a half years old. He never was much of a squirrel dog. Well, <laughs> I said the word and you should whip around. Even in, a, even in a sentence, it's like, huh? What? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I wonder if will work at one of, your, uh, one of your meetings. Squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've talked about our board chasing squirrels in the past <laughs> and, and not paying attention to a strategic plan and being focused on a set of goals and strategies to achieve those goals instead, you know, running around and chasing whatever the squirrel of the day was. So that's kind of a nice reminder and, and segue that, uh, you know, we, we, we do need to, to concentrate on, on some of our goals. And one of our goals was dealing with affordable housing and getting more housing available here in, in Lane County, and we are working towards that. Hopefully, I talked last week a lot about the comments on MLK and our Housing First project that's going to be breaking ground in in a month here. And uh, you know, we're we're trying to do what we can here locally, and hopefully, we can get the commissioners to kind of get focused on not chasing squirrels. And real, real quick here, speaking of chasing squirrels, we're getting some likes on the program. Um, I'd like to encourage people to tell your friends, give us some more likes. Let's see if we can really get that number up there. 
Yeah, yeah. Tell KRB, your friends. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page and like us on Facebook. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. It was a... a Squirrel? Yeah, it was a fun show to do today in a lot of ways, but also talk some pretty serious stuff. And I got to tell you, probably going to take me a couple of days to process through that whole every 15 minutes stuff. And uh, I can't, I can imagine the kids there doing the same thing, but thank you for listening to the show this week. We'll be back next week at our regular time, 4 PM Wednesday Pacific time. And, you know, I'm hoping that you'll have a great and a safe week, make good driving decisions. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.